I was blessed with the privilege of not only living now during this amazing technological age, but I also remember a time when technology did not invade every form of communication that we had. In fact, when I was in school, in fact, if you look at ask students today, if they, how do they contact and how do they talk to one another, especially if you are romantically interested in someone else. Uh, there is the term called sliding into someone's DM. Okay, You direct message somebody privately and you begin to have a conversation to see if there's any interest on the other side. Well, before, see, when I was in high school, I didn't slide into my girlfriend's DM or another girl's DM. I slid actual notes, okay, sheets of paper written by hand. And me and my wife, we were uh, dating when we were in high school. And we didn't go to the same school, so we would always write each other a note, a couple notes, maybe one a day, and then we would collect them throughout the week. And when we would see each other, we would then pass each other's notes, and we would take them, we would read them, reread them over and over and over and over again. Now, what's interesting about those and what I missed and what I loved about those notes and those letters that we shared was that the letters were not the foundation of my relationship with my then-girlfriend, now-wife. Those letters were not the foundation of our faith, but those letters fueled our faith. I would read them and reread them and just let her words just fill my heart. And it's like vice versa, same way. They didn't, they were not the foundation of our faith, but they did fuel our faith. And that is exactly how God wants us to see his word. See, the Bible is God's love letter to us, some like to say. But see, this love letter to us is not a book about us. It's a book about God's love. It's a book about him and about his love for us. And the Lord wants us to be able to read his word and reread it and binge on the Bible over and over again so that every sentence fills our souls. Now, again, the, the Bible does not create the foundation of our relationship with God, but it does fuel it. It does fuel it. That's why we need it so much. And interesting that not only is the Bible considered God's love letter to us about him and you know, his love towards us, but there is a section of the Bible that contains a lot of letters. These are found in the New Testament. We call this category of books in the New Testament epistles. And every single epistle, which can be written by people where we have one unknown author uh, that wrote the book of Hebrews, which there's assumptions that we have an idea of who might have wrote it, but we have the book of Hebrews. Yeah, but outside of that, we know that we have Paul. Paul wrote the majority of these letters. And not only that, but John wrote three, Peter wrote two. And we have all these amazing letters here that are either written to individuals like people named Titus and Jude. Now, the book of James was not written to James. James, the brother of Jesus, was also one. He wrote that book, and he wrote it to not one individual, but a group. This is like Paul. Paul would write to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, these people who lived in those cities and were churches in those different cities. Now, one thing actually unifies all of the epistles. The epistles all and work for one function. They help to put flesh and help to really, well, the phrase better raise is flesh out the application that Jesus gave us, the new covenant and the new commandment that we have, which is found in John 13, 34 through 35. And it says that we are to love one another as God loves us. 
love one another as God loves us. If you read the epistles, it is all about not only better understanding the love of God, but how we are to love others as Jesus loved us. The one application of love is actually, we see it in multiple different expressions throughout all of the epistles. And the problem that the, the reason why all these letters had to be written was because people were wondering and confused about what is sin now, since we don't have the law, we don't have this extensive law and rituals and ordinances that guide every aspect of our life. Now, what do we do? What is considered sin? What is considered not? What is considered living by the Spirit and not against the law of God? When we only have one rule, which is to love others as God, as Jesus has loved us. So here's the two ways that a lot of Christians back then and still today approach this faith. When it comes to the idea of, wait, what is sin anymore? Some like to take the high road and some like to take the low road. The high road is actually one that says, I want to follow God and be so close to him. I want to be holy like he is holy and I want you to be just like Jesus. And so they fill their lives with all this Christian activity. And now that sounds great, doesn't it? What I just said, who wouldn't want to do those things? Yet when people take the high road, they are doing it for selfish reasons. It's I want to get close to God so that I, so that I, so that I. And there's a slight element of pride. See, those who take the high road tend to hold their noses high up in the air. They look down at others and say, well, they are not as spiritual as me. And they are not in walking in victory because they are not as disciplined as I am. This, the people who are the modern day high road Christians are back in the day. It's like the same thing that the Pharisees did who tried to find a relationship in rule following, tried to find life in being the best. Now, those who take the high road fall short because, see, they prioritize a vertical relationship with God, yet they compromise the horizontal. They focus on loving God, yet they have little compassion and little love towards others. See, the high road is not the way to go, but neither is the low road. See, now, on the high road where you are trying to literally live sin-free and trying to do all this in your own strength and trying to be the best Christian possible, those who take the low road, are play, they like to play what I call spiritual limbo. They like to know how low can they go, how low can they go, meaning how, what, how much sin can they get away with without losing their salvation. And they want to make sure the bar, they want to know exactly where the bar is so that they can just sneak by. Those who take the low road tend to take advantage of the grace of God and they say, well, God's going to forgive me anyway, so might as well do it. And again, it's selfish in reason. They, they don't want to know what is sin so they can avoid sin, so they can prioritize and enjoy a relationship with God. They want to rationalize sin. And they want to make sure, how much can I get away with without losing my salvation? Both the high road and the low road are the wrong approach. And every single epistle was honestly attacking both approaches, trying to help them find the sweet spot in the middle where the vertical relationship with God is played out on the horizontal plane. Now, we see this, for example, we're going to look at one section of one letter of one of the many letters that make up the epistles in the New Testament. And we see this actually occur in the Apostle Paul's first letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church as he was critiquing their lack of love that existed in that church. 
towards one another. And he critiqued it by better defining what love was supposed to look like. Now, for the Corinthians, this letter in 1 Corinthians was written in around 50 to 51 AD. And this was an amazing letter because, well, first off, you got to understand that Paul spent about 18 months in Corinth establishing this church, evangelizing, spreading the gospel. And like he did with many places he would go to, he would find Christians and well, he wouldn't find Christians. He would, people would get saved as he would declare the good news. And then he would organize a church, train leaders, and then establish them and then move on to the next city, move on to the next country, move on to the next town. And he was there for 18 months. He established a church in the city of Corinth and then left. And he would maintain correspondence with these churches that he would establish. And he got a few letters that bothered him. See, some of these letters were from the city of, from the church of Corinth asking questions, but also there were those reporting what was happening, what had happened to this church. See, Paul must have been mortified to hear that the Christians in the city of Corinth were acting more like Corinthians than Christians. See, there was a phrase back in the day, back in this time, of called living like a Corinthian. Now, this was a phrase that was associated with living a wild and reckless life. See, the city of Corinth was a very rich city port in this area of the world. And it was actually really a lot of the Western world and the Eastern world at the time crossed past. They crossed paths there in the city of Corinth. And there, they were a type of culture that kind of was like, listen, truth is truth. Truth is what you define truth to be. Love is what you define love to be. And rules are whatever you want. Well, there is no rules. The only rule is there is no rules. And they just live like that. Very selfish, very reckless. And something interesting to note is that in the city of Corinth, the, the god, the Greek god of that town was called Aphrodite or another phrase that we know her as is Venus. She is the goddess of love. How interesting. Here's the city of Corinth, and they're all about love, yet Paul is critiquing their interpretation of love because their love was a reflection of the goddess Aphrodite's, not the God, not the one true God, Jesus Christ. See, this Venus, the goddess, she was the goddess of Listentius. I know I mispronounced that love. It was this love that was very, I mean, very, uh, it, was, it was lewd, crude, rude all of them you know it was this form of not just sexual but just this selfish perverted form of love and paul wrote this first letter to corinthian church because he had to fix a problem the thing was is that the culture kind of colonized the church the corinthian culture colonized the church so he writes to them with the goal to teach this church to teach the christians that true life and true liberty is only found in the love of Jesus, the one true God. So we see in his famous verses here in 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 31, I'm going to read all the way through verse 13, chapter 13, at the end of 13, through uh, verse 13. And this is what Paul says, And I will show you still a more excellent way. See, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding of all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, 
I gain nothing. See, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It isn't arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. See, love bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I guarantee you've heard that verse a lot of times, especially if you were, if you've attended a wedding. That section on the verse of love is such a poetic and beautiful expression that it just seems to fit the setting of a wedding. But what's ironic is that the tone that I read that is not the tone that Paul wrote this letter to this church. If this was a modern day text message, it would have been full with angry emojis and it would have been written in all caps. See, the thing was is that the, the people had so corrupted their love that Paul was, gonna, was shaking them. Every single one of those words was honestly a slap to the face of each one of those members. Now, those three things that Paul was trying to explain, let me give you an idea of what he was trying to communicate then so we better understand how to live and apply that for us today. See, the first thing Paul was trying to explain in this section that I read was that love matters. Notice in the section, he says, look, you can do all of these amazing things. You can act like the church, yet if you do all of this Christian activity and do great things, sacrificing, you know, uh, I mean, giving, operating the gifts of the spirit, whatever, all these things. But if you do it without love, what did he repeat and say? You are nothing. You accomplish nothing. Now, this love the Greek word that he used there was not the kind of love that Aphrodite was pushing. This was not the kind of love that the goddess, that the Venus, the goddess of love, was modeling. That was not the same word that we use for love. For Paul was using the word agape. See, there's other words in the Greek culture that represent that we translate as love, like sexual love and selfish love, erotic love, love between friends, family, all these things. But agape was a word that was hardly used in the Greek culture. But we see it here, and we see it in multiple, multiple instances. And the word agape is a Greek word that talks about, and it literally represents the perfect form of love. It is a love that sacrifices for the good of others. There is no selfishness in agape. And Paul is saying, if you don't have agape, referencing the love of God, who God alone is love, a love that is sacrifices for the good of others, Without the love of God, it doesn't matter if you do Christian activities. All of it is nothing if it is void of the love of God. All of it is void if you do it for your selfish purposes. You accomplish nothing and you are nothing if you are not loving in a way that sacrifices for the good of others as a reflection of the love of Jesus. Again, what did Jesus say? Love others as I have loved you. 
yourself selflessly, sacrificially. That is the agape that he is saying. And pretty much uh, telling them, look, all, you, are doing, you are not helping yourselves. You are not accomplishing anything because there is a lack of the love of God in you. You've allowed the wrong God. You are modeling the love of the wrong God. Now, after saying what love isn't, and by talking about how love matters, he then says and models what love is, and he says love gives. All of those examples of love is a giving form of love. Again, examples of what that sacrificial love looks like. Examples of putting others first. That's what that is. In fact, some of those words for love, we actually translate as the word charity. And what is charity? When people give right charity is giving and when you give to a charity you are giving for the good of others you are sacrificing for the good of others that is charity and he this is what the love of god is like the agape love is charity it is love in action it is sacrificial loving giving now again what's funny is ironic to me is that that section about love is patient love is kind we read it right so beautifully because paul is just amazing the way he puts it together and we read it like that right love is patient love is kind it does not envy or boast it is not arrogant or rude it does not insist on its own way it is not irritable or resentful it does not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoices with the truth love bears all things it believes all things it hopes all things and endures all things that's how we read it in our wedding ceremonies but paul wrote this very ferociously because every phrase that he was saying that love is is a gives us an example of how the corinthian church was applying their form of love I mean, this was written, again, in all caps and angry emojis, saying, listen, the way Paul would have probably read this and said it out loud, it says, listen, man, love is patient. It isn't petty, and all you guys are petty. You guys are impatient with one another. Love is supposed to be patient and kind, and you guys are impatient, petty, and ruthless. If you keep doing that and you flip all of those words, you see what the church was like. In fact, let's keep on going. He would say, love does not envy or boast, and all of you guys care about all you care about is boasting about what spiritual gift you got compared to someone else. And if you're not boasting about what you have that someone else doesn't, you're jealous of what somebody else has that you don't. That's not love. Love isn't arrogant or rude. And all you guys, the way you treat one another is pathetic. It's disgusting. You guys hold your noses high. You are not loving and patient and kind towards one another. You are rude, su suing one another if somebody looks at you cross-eyed which is what they did. It does not insist on its own way in each and every one of you. All you want to do is do things the way you want to do and you want to do. And if it's not your way, then whatever. No, that's, that, that's not love. Love, it does not do that. It does not insist its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And all I see in you is resent towards one another. All I see is how easily triggered you are, guys are towards one another. See, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And all I hear about is that when somebody, somebody gets caught or busted for what doing the wrong thing, instead of loving that person, you kick that person while they're down and you point fingers and you make fun and you celebrate and you, that's what you do. That's what you do. Love instead rejoices in the truth and all you want to do is rejoice in the lie. Love bears all things, but you can't even bear to be with one another. 
It believes all things, yet you do not believe in what the word of the Lord has said, because if not, you would be living it. It hopes all things. Yeah, there is no hope in how you guys are believing believing and acting. And, and you don't see that you are not holding on to the hope of God. And love endures all things. And you are not going to be able to endure long if this is the kind of love you're going to live by. Okay? Paul was ruthless in that section. He was pointing out the Corinthian contradiction. Because every what, what every example of what love was was the opposite of what the Corinthians were living by. There was a contradiction. See, there's this, there's this Peanuts cartoon that was written in the, in the 50s. It has no Peanuts being uh, the Snoopy, Charlie Brown, all those guys. And Lucy uh, was one of the, you know, the fam- one of those famous characters, and she's talking to Linus and making fun of Linus because Linus wanted to be a doctor. And Lucy is saying, Linus, you'll never be a doctor because you have no love for mankind. Linus looks back at Lucy and says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Now, it's, that's super that's funny, but you realize there's a contradiction in his statement. Because if he loves mankind, how can he not stand people? And you and I know, you and I know we all have people that sometimes it's those people that it's hard. People that act certain ways, do certain things that get under our skin or bother us or annoy us or have caused us so much harm and pain that we don't trust them. It's hard to stand those people, yet the love of God asks us to do more than just stand them. The love of God compels us to love them, love them. And so we can't have this contradiction. If Linus says, I love mankind, he has to also love people. And as Christian, the Corinthian church saying the same thing. If you say you love God, but you are not showing the love of God in the way you love one another. And then he goes back and reflects this. He says, look, the love of God matters. The love of God gives. And then he finally ends with love. The love lasts. The love of God is the only thing that's going to last. He would talk about how, look, all of these gifts that you guys care about, all these things that you guys are doing, this is all for a season and a time. They are all going to pass away for this world is passing away. Like Jesus said, until the everything is accomplished, not until the heaven and earth pass away, will the, the law remain. But he's implying heaven and earth will pass away. This age is coming to a conclusion and the new age is coming soon. And Paul is saying the same thing and saying, look, all that you guys are doing, you're wasting your time because you're doing things that will not last. Faith, hope, and love are the things that should mark every Christian. Faith in God, the hope that we have in the future resurrection and the future coming of the kingdom of God and in the present. But then there's love. He says, love will be the only thing that remains. Love is the only thing that will last. See, these, these Christians in the city of Corinth, they love their ministry gifts. We can read this in their previous chapter and in the other chapter to follow, chapter 4. But they love their ministry gifts more than loving the people they were called to minister to. They love the gifts, yet the gifts were supposed to be given to love the people. And they were falling short of that. In fact, when Paul starts talking about, look, when I was a kid... I used to act like a kid, talk like a kid, think like a kid. But when I became a man, another, I mean, punch to the gut. Because it said, look, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. 
The Corinthian church knew what he, Paul was saying. Paul was calling them to grow up. Like saying, look, I was a kid at one time. I'm not a kid anymore. I grew up. Implying that they were acting like children and they needed to grow up. Grow up in love. The Corinthian Christians were acting like spoiled brats fighting for a toy that was eventually going to break and go into the trash. He was saying, it's time to grow up, guys. Now, even though the language was harsh, all of this language was done in love. Because if Paul, if Paul couldn't stand the Corinthians, he would have cut them off and would have started all over again. But this letter was to correct them because he loved them. He wanted to make sure that they were walking in the love of God and not be lost to the corruption of the lies of this world. See, they, the Corinthian church, and in fact, you can even say all of humanity, has been living by the phrase, love is love, since really the Garden of Eden. Now, I know the LGBTQ plus community has taken that slogan, love is love, but they don't have a claim to that because Honestly, all of mankind, all of mankind in every single culture has lived by, has lived by the slogan, love is love. They just haven't defined it and owned it. See, to say love is love is what the Corinthian church was living by. Love is love. Love is whatever makes you feel good. Love is whatever, uh, you know, love is whatever is inside of you, whatever is going to attracts you. That love is you define love. Love is love. Now, when those who say love is love are really saying love is God. They are actually saying love is God. Whatever attracts me is my God. Whatever makes me feel good is my God. Love isn't just love because you can't use the same word to define itself. Those who say that are honestly saying love is God. That's why so many are stuck in that stronghold because they are bowing down to a false god. Paul wanted them to know what love really looked like because a better understanding of what love is helps us to better understand who God is. For love is not love, and love is not God. God is love. And we see that in 1 John 4, 8. Love isn't God. God is love. God defines the terms. It is God who is the epitome and the embodiment of love. It is not something he does. It is who he is. So when we apply this to our lives today, we got to ask ourselves, how do we live? What is our interpretation of love? Do we live by the phrase, love is God, or by the truth that God is love? See, what Paul was trying to get these Corinthians to understand is the same thing we all need to know, is that love is not a license Love is a command. Love is not a license. Now, so many of us treat, when you know if you're treating love, if you think and you're living by the phrase love is love or love is God, if you treat love as a license, and you know what a license is, a license is given by some governing authority or whatever purposes, you know, group, to give you permission to do something that you want to do. A driver's license gives you permission to drive the car, right? A, a hunter's license gives you permission to hunt, or whatever. All these licenses give you permission to do things. And so when we treat love as a license, we become a slave to lust. See, when you say, well, I can do what I want because it makes me feel good, because I believe it's right, because I believe it's true, and, and you, let love define, you let love define itself based on your feelings and passions, 
That license actually causes you to become a slave to lust. And lust is an extreme form of selfish love. And lust is more than just sexual attraction. No, lust, you can lust over stuff. You can lust over things. You can lust over power. Lust over significance. Lust for love. And lust is, is nothing but consuming. You just want to consume and consume and consume. You become a slave to lust when you treat love like a license. But when you treat love like a command, you are free to love. You are free to live. Because this command comes from the commander. The, def- the, 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 the terms and the definition of this command to love comes from the commander-in-chief, which is Jesus. He defines what love is because we are supposed to love one another as Jesus has loved us. So how did Jesus love us? That's how we are supposed to live. We're supposed to be giving, sacrificial, selfless. That is how we are called to live by. When you look at love, you want to know, let's look at this Corinthian verse, again, through four through seven. If you want to know what love looks like, how did Jesus love us? Well, how did Jesus love us? Look at the gospels. Look how he treated people. Look how he died for our sins. But if you want an exa- another example, well, let's use this verse again in 1 Corinthians Chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. And now let's read this section. Instead of reading the word love, let's read the word Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. Jesus does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. Jesus never insists on his own way, and he is not irritable or resentful. He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoings, but he rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That is how Jesus loves us. That's how Jesus loves us. Now, let's compare that with you. So I'm going to read this again. But every time I say, fill in the blank, put your name. Fill in the blank is patient and kind. I'm going to use this actually for my name, and you play this game with yours. Ready? Tito is patient and kind. Tito loves, Tito loves, and Tito does not envy or boast. Tito is not arrogant. He's not rude. He does not insist on his own way, and he is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but he rejoices in the truth always. He bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And if you know me, you know that that's not true. And you know, you don't even have to know me to know that's not true, because who do you know that's like that perfectly? No one. Not even you. Not even you. And so... When we compare ourselves to Jesus, compare, compare ourselves to us, we're like, man, how, how can we do that? We'll see the goal again. Paul says, grow up. It's just growing. You're not going to get there overnight. A baby is not going to re- reach, become a man overnight. Take some time. And we, ask, we need to ask ourselves this question, and we need to make sure we know what love looks like and not be worried about just what is sin anymore. Because when we look at, when we worry about, well, what is sin? We lose sight. We focus on what we're called to do. I mean, I don't know how many people, even me, I've done this too. We always ask this, is fill in the blank a sin? Because I can't find a reference of it in the Bible. So is fill in the blank a sin? Look, when you approach that, don't take the high road, don't take the low road. You take the better way that Paul was saying that Jesus, that Jesus modeled. Here's how to know if something is a sin or not. Even if it's not, even if you don't see it specifically in the Bible, you got to ask yourself this question. And this, I got this question from Andy Stanley's book, Irresistible. He says, 
What does love require of me? In light of the love of Jesus, the way Jesus loved me, what does love require of me at this moment? If my feeling or activity that I want to do, if it's bad for you, then it's not good for me to do. If it's bad for me to do, it's not good for me to do. If it's bad for you, it's not good for me to do. That's a way of helping to realize, just kind of closes the loophole. Asking yourself, what does love require of me? How can I love others the way Jesus has loved us? That closes the loophole to what the Bible doesn't say specifically sin is. We are called to run this race in reverse. We're called to run this race in reverse, not to the front of the line to be the best, but we're now running a race in reverse to the back of the line, looking for ways, looking to make sure to put the people around us in front of us. That's what love looks like. That's how Jesus loved us. He put the people around him in front of him. That's what you're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. We need to live this life loving others as Jesus has loved us. Asking ourselves a question, what does love require of me? Putting others, putting everyone around me, in front of me. That is how we're called to live. And again, we're called to grow in living in that way. So instead of looking at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 in the way we've been looking, I want you to use it as a prayer this week. Instead of reading love is, and like I said a minute ago, Tito is patient. Well, no, no, not, not all the time. So instead, read this section as a prayer and say, Lord, help me to love like you. Help me to be patient and kind the way you are. Help me to love in a way that it does not envy or boast. Help me not to be arrogant or rude towards people. God, help me to not always insist on my own way. Help me to not be so irritable or resentful towards others. Help me rejoice. Help me not to rejoice in wrongdoing, but Lord, help me to rejoice in the truth. Holy Spirit, help me to bear all things. Help me to believe all things that you say. Help me to hope in all things that you have declared in your promises so that I can endure all things. That is a great way to apply that verse, and that's what I want to encourage you to apply it. May we grow in love, not in a selfish love, not using love like a license, but understanding that love is a command. Love is a command. We are called to put the people around us in front of us, to love others the way Jesus loved us. We need to obey this command, this command of love, by fully trusting in the love of our commander and king. Because there is no better way to love than being loved by God and letting that love flow through us towards others.